think um, it's hard. I mean, I think it's harder even now for young women to then to take charge of that yeah. and feel like they can, mm-hmm. you know, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so one of my missions is just, just like, come on, girls, do it. Yeah, right, right. And <laughs> we felt that check energy. It out. And I like that energy a lot. <laughs> yeah. I like that energy. music has been about so much more than just putting notes together. Performing has connected me with some of my best friends and most influential role models, like Anna Doldy and Joan Griffith. I met Anna when I was a sophomore at McAllister College, struggling to sight-read charts as a new guitarist in jazz band. Anna was one of the alto saxophonists in the front row holding down the melodies. Joan was our director and also my guitar teacher. There, there's a whole bunch of women in my life that, that I stand on their shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, they're, and right. they're like, do it, just, you know, learn that. And we'll be right. like, okay, you know, yeah. and, and without that, I don't know what I'd be doing. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Detasseling corn still in the past. <laughs> Both of these women have been instrumental to my growth as a musician. After becoming friends with Anna in jazz band, we now play in a band together called Rebecca. In March, we released our first album, Potluck. Joan's ever-encouraging teaching pushed me to write my own music, like the song Butter, which became the first single that Rebecca released. Colleen Cowie, and you're listening to the Pass the Mic podcast, a podcast dedicated to amplifying female, trans, and non-binary voices in music. This episode is more personal to me than most. I wanted to pay homage to the woman who encouraged me to pursue music, Joan and Anna. I met up with the two of them to talk about how they got into music and the journeys they've taken to creating their own sound. We all have different backgrounds. Anna grew up in a competitive school jazz band environment, and Joan fell in love with bossa nova before studying classical guitar in college. In this episode, we talk about how we fell in love with music and how we found the confidence to say, I'm going to sound like myself. Keep listening to hear our full conversation. Do you both just want to like introduce yourselves? Say a few words about um, your experience with music or, mm-hmm. or yeah, whatever you sure, want to say. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my name's Anna Doldy. Um, I am from Seattle, Washington, but uh, came out to the Twin Cities uh, to go to McAllister College. Um, and I am a musician that kind of started in a rigorous kind of middle school and high school jazz band program um, that was very structured and kind of had a particular format. And then from McAllister on, I've been doing more like jazz fusion and different kinds of arranging and uh, music projects like that. So um, I now currently still reside in the Twin Cities and I'm working for a social service agency in West St. Paul. But at the same time, I'm trying to pursue music with a different uh, avenue of um, uh, I'm with a blues band at the moment um, that rehearses in West St. Paul. 
Um, I'm with the group Rebecca, which mm-hmm. I am so happy to be a part of with you. Um, and then also just trying to jam with other musicians and kind of get my feet wet into the scene. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm Joan Griffith, and um, I know uh, both of you from McAllister because <laughs> I teach the jazz band, direct the jazz band here. And uh, besides doing that, I do play the bass, and I play the guitar, and I play the mandolin. And uh, I teach over at St. Thomas and um, uh, also play a lot of gigs in the city. Uh, right now, uh, uh, today anyway, for example, I have a rehearsal out at Artistry Theater for a production of Footloose and I'm playing electric bass for that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I play classical gigs and I play jazz gigs and all, you know, um, all kinds of different gigs. So mm-hmm. I'm lucky in that regard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I should say too that Again, I said this at the beginning, but um, you were very much uh, an inspiring force to both me and Colleen when we were at McAllister. So I want to put that out there, too. We know each other because of that. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I'll put this out there, too, is that as a teacher, um, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you guys to say that. Mm-hmm. Because many days pass where, you, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody really cares about what you're doing. Right. <laughs> and um, uh, it's just great to know that... that that, that had, you know, like doing something has an impact, you know, uh, so thank you ladies so much for that. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And I know too, like, my attitude, I think, towards jazz band and everything, if I'm being completely honest, changed over time. When I mm-hmm. first started, my first year, I remember people had such a half-ass attitude, and I think when I came in as a first year, I was kind of like, oh, I'll kind of like be in that same zone, but then quickly I realized it's like the energy that you put into anything regardless of if it's music or not that's what you'll get out of it right Mm -hmm. and so I think after that year I was like I really care about this and this is something I want to continue to do in the way that I've done in the past and cared about in the past so I'm going to put in the energy that it deserves to like make it something worth everyone's time not only my time but you know I think it really does matter to kind of go into it with the right mindset and, and to know that you should contribute what you what you can. Yeah, and, and that's a really interesting point. You know, as a teacher, I see lots of different energies come yeah, through the door. Yeah, yeah. And some, um, uh, and McAllister's a funny, a little bit of a funny place because it's a, a very um, high-end liberal arts college mm-hmm. and almost none of the people in jazz band, of course, are music majors, mm-hmm. um, but almost everybody's in there because they love to play mm-hmm. on some level. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and I, for me, I mean, music has been my way in the world. It is, mm-hmm. you know, that's how I mm-hmm. do things. I mean, I just cannot be in the mindset to phone in, as they say, mm-hmm. a performance or anything because it's like, it, this, it's important. It changes your soul when you play, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and maybe it doesn't feel like that on every rehearsal, but um, it's a gift to be able to go in there and play music, you mm-hmm. know. And so I try to, you know, push along, you know, because it's, like I said, it's meant so much to me. It's meant so much to be in good bands where the, the groove is great, yes. you know, and or something is beautiful. And if you can just kind of keep reminding people that this is a cool and beautiful thing to do, then maybe mm-hmm. somebody will do something cool and beautiful. You can always right. hope. Right. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of that kind of musical energy and like the passion that fuels you there, what are, do you have any like early musical memories, like anything that kind of sparked your interest, like when you were first starting to play, 
any songs or anything that you really connected to that you were like, I want to do that. Like, that, mm-hmm. that makes me really excited. Well, I can answer that question mm-hmm. pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was, I think I was 14. And I was playing guitar, uh, you know, kind of strummy, strummy, you know. And I have to say, I didn't like Bob Dylan, and the Beatles were okay, but who cares? And <laughs> and I played piano, but I was already conned my mom out of that because if I took guitar lessons, I could quit piano. And I was, she was driving me to a softball game one day because I was really convinced I was going to be a professional softball player. And um, and on the radio, in those days, the radio played all kinds of stuff, you know. And on the radio comes Bossa Nova. Mm. And it's Joao Gilberto, who just passed away uh, last yeah. week, um, playing, and I don't know if it was Girl from Ipanema or one of those, because mm-hmm. uh, it gets, gets Gilberto was a huge deal in the, you know, in the in the you know with Stan gets on the saxophone blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I know yeah. and uh, anyway and I was in the car and I heard that I mean I could still see it I heard one of those tunes on the radio and the way that Joao Gilberto was playing the guitar was like well wait a minute you know uh, that's the way that the guitar should be played <laughs> At the end of the game, which I think is the most remarkable part of the story that I didn't forget, that <laughs> at the end of the game I made my mom drive me immediately to the record store and uh, we bought that album. Wow. And I spent the whole summer <laughs> figuring out as much as I could by ear what he was playing, you know, That's and so over and over at all and ten, you know, I'm sure my mom was going, oh God, please. But, <laughs> um, but by the end of the summer, truthfully, I was a musician. I had, I had... Mingus used to say you have to get hit in your soul, Charles mm-hmm. Mingus, and I was hit in my soul with that, and I was just playing bossa nova 24-7 on the guitar, and that led me to playing classical guitar and getting a degree in that, and mm-hmm. just kind of launched me, but it was falling in love with that music that did it, and everybody, I think, has a story where they heard something and thought that would be the coolest, so. Yeah. Anna, what's your story? Well, so I feel like my story is a little different in terms of, I mean, so in terms of something that I've heard, I think the funniest one I can think of and like one of my earliest music memories, I think was I was three years old and I heard Enya's Only Time. And like, I remember I was obsessed. I was like, my mom bought like two Enya CDs that unfortunately didn't have that song on it, but it was because like, that's all I wanted was like, Enya! Enya. (laughs) So like, I was very much into Uh that, I guess. But um, what I was gonna say is I think, um, you know, so I started piano pretty early. My dad was really into music and um, he just wanted to encourage us to do that from very early on. And Piano never really connected with me. I just mm-hmm. never felt um, like I was very good at <laughs> playing two things at once. I think that was my main uh, <laughs> thing. You know, I'm a pretty linear player because I play alto saxophone. I don't. I don't think I mentioned that in my intro, but yes, I play alto saxophone <laughs> primarily. Um, but so I think though, when I think about the trajectory I've had playing saxophone, I started with alto saxophone. That was my first instrument in school. And then I just kept playing ever since. I think what I really appreciate about that is I think it almost gave me the space to be able to step out and just be a little bit more bold. I was kind of, I was very shy actually when I was younger and yeah. And I think with something like a saxophone, and being like a girl and everything, I was really passionate about it and I wanted to to step out and be expressive. That's something I've always wanted to be expressive and 
really appreciate the ability to do that. And I think over time, like, I just kind of grew in my confidence to be able to just kind of step out more and more and be more and more expressive in these different ways. And so I think for me, just having an instrument that felt so right for me stepping out and kind of creating that expressive um, form that I wanted was something that was just so inspiring to me. fourth grade there was like this red book that you were supposed to like learn all the songs in and I remember I was like the first person to learn it like way earlier than everybody else <laughs> I literally have a memory of me like walking away from my lesson being like I can buy the blue book tomorrow and I, my heart was glowing oh my heart was you know yeah it, it, absolutely. That, that feels like a moment where you knew it's like this is my soulmate this yeah. is my my yeah. music soulmate yeah. so yeah yeah <laughs> I can buy the blue book <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. How about you, Colleen? Um, I feel like my story is a little bit similar to yours yeah. in that I started taking piano lessons when I was younger, and it was the same thing where I was studying classical music, and I didn't really like it that much and mm -hmm. didn't connect with it that much emotionally. Um, and then I think I think I probably told you both the story about how I got my first guitar was I went into the music store looking for a book for piano and I mm -hmm. saw this Daisy Rack guitar which mm -hmm. was shaped like a heart and it was purple and it was sparkly <laughs> and I was just like that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen <laughs> and purple's my favorite color and so I want that's that amazing. guitar <laughs> and so my parents bought it for me um, for Christmas and that's how I started taking lessons and I remember my guitar teacher, he taught me a couple songs, you know, Daydream Believer and Day Tripper and all that mm -hmm. stuff to get started. And then he started asking me, what songs do you want to play? And I had no idea because I was like, I don't know. I don't listen to that much music. I was like 10 or something. Mm -hmm. And I remember I picked out like the theme song from SpongeBob. That was one <laughs> yes. of them. So I was like, I like that show. I listened to that song. Like, I just could not think of anything because yeah. there was really no music that I had listened to that I was really inspired by at yeah. that point. And that was kind of a turning point where I was like, oh, I don't know. I just didn't think about that before. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of exposed me to looking at music through a whole new lens mm -hmm. um, by playing it. and But my mom was also super great, and she has great taste in music, which I didn't really admit when I was younger. And now I'm like, okay, you're right. You're cool, Mom. <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> but when, I got, when she got me my guitar, she also got me a Susan Tedeschi CD. Mm, and oh. that was another thing that I didn't realize influenced me a ton until years later um and now like looking back on my playing and like blues was really influential in my like guitar vocabulary yeah. mm -hmm. um and i didn't i didn't really notice that um because it was it, i don't know it was just kind of around me when i was growing up and starting to play but now like susan tedeschi and derek trucks and that's all like really <laughs> at the heart of my playing
I saw like a tiny desk concert with a Tedeschi Trucks band. Um, like last year, I saw that they posted one, and I opened it, and I hadn't listened to their music in like years and years, and I just opened it, and as soon as Susan Tedeschi started singing, I just started crying. (gasps) I just started bawling. Like I just didn't realize how much it resonated with me until I like stepped back, and I was like, oh wow. That's beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Well, you were lucky to have a teacher that asked you what music you want to play. Because yeah. often teachers don't. They just have a plan and they want you to play a certain thing really well. And I mean, I do that all the time because I think it has to be, if it if the music doesn't come from you, it's, it's sort of, it's, 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 you don't have ownership, you know, and you can't be a musician unless you have ownership of your yeah. music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know. Yeah. I feel like we've all had different backgrounds in our like musical education and our like journeys to where we are and I'm curious to hear about how those experiences are different especially like we could start with your high school jazz band experience because I just have no sense of that that's like environment is totally different from Mm -hmm. how I got introduced to music so I would love to hear more yeah I could go on for a long time so please stop me in any way but um Yeah, so the Seattle jazz programming is just kind of on a different level that I I just didn't realize how unbelievable the amount of opportunities and kind of exposure was, you know, just without even trying. Like, I, um, yeah, even from middle school, I was going on... um, trips to go play at competitions in like Reno, Nevada and like, um, you know, Idaho, like that doesn't sound like a big deal, but for a middle school jazz band, I mean, my God, to be able to travel like that. And that's a normal thing every year they go and travel. And now they play at the Monterey jazz festival, this middle school band. So it's just, you know, even from that level, like there was just this expectation of like, you're going to be, you know, uh, if you're serious about it, you're going to be taking some lessons. You're going to be, you know, starting to expose yourself um, to lots of different uh, jazz artists. But then high school is where it got really intense, where so um, you audition every year. There's three jazz bands in a vocal jazz. And so jazz band one was the top one. Jazz band three was the bottom one. They now have four jazz bands because oh, wow. the program is so popular people move from different neighborhoods Mm -hmm. to be able to move into the school district where you could be a part of that band or another one of the popular Seattle bands. Like it's a, it's a common thing. Um, but you know, I just like lived in that area. Um, and so, yeah, I worked my way up from like the, the lowest jazz band three at the time up to jazz band one. And over time, the expectations of you just got kind of higher and higher and, um, I think over time, I worked really hard to try and become a soloist. That was mm-hmm. something that I worked really hard on, and I ended up becoming a featured soloist as part of the top band, which like only a handful of people kind of did. But when I look back on that time, I, I'm so proud of you know what it took to kind of step out and like do that. But I realized too that like it was very formulaic. It mm-hmm. was very structured of like we, are going to be playing well, we're going to be playing good jazz music, but it's also going to be the kind of jazz that's needed for specific competitions. So, Mm -hmm. for example, we played in this essentially Ellington competition Mm -hmm. where we went to jazz at Lincoln Center, 
and like played in front of like Wynton Marsalis and like you know the Jazz at Lincoln Center band and they were the ones that were judging us right so this big deal and like I mean our jazz boosters paid for that so all these rich kids were like paying for like mm-hmm. me and other people to like go to New York like it was nuts mm-hmm. um, just the anyway uh, like I get that it's nuts um, but so you know for that competition I remember two no it was two days before we were going to play we had a rehearsal and I still didn't know if I was going to be soloing I was like scheduled to be one but it was like you have to play well right now otherwise and I remember I kind of like fudged my solo a little bit and I started to tear up and I like went to my director and was like I'm not going to get this solo am I and he was like oh no you're still playing the solo but then he cut the other person from the solo and so it was just any I remember once my band director like wrote a whole memo being like I'm out of town. This is all the things that you did wrong, like those kinds of things. So anyway, all I'm saying is that like, I think that was such an important experience for me to be able to, to, I don't know, just grow and understand a lot of musical concepts, but it was something I want to avoid now, kind of. It's like, I don't want to be as formulaic. I don't want to um, play the way that somebody else wants me to for a competition. Like, you know, I think at a certain point I was still developing, but especially at McAllister, what I really appreciated was the opportunity to just kind of let it go, mm-hmm. just to play how I wanted mm-hmm. to. And I think that was really important. So mm-hmm. I'll stop there. I could say more, <laughs> but like, you know, it's it was just a wild experience that I, I recognize I benefit from, but also kind of try to be mindful to, to do different dynamics now that respect my playing more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's super interesting. Uh, yeah, because I think that, I mean that program you you had is just fantastic. Yeah, you know? and it also sort of calls it calls you to be a better player and dis- discipline discipline yourself and mm-hmm. have like experiences. But I think that that that's a, a very academic kind of yeah. experience, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, and and in the real world, you know, like as far as like if you're gonna play, you know, it this is not an experience that you're gonna have. Yeah, I mean, you can right. duplicate the discipline mm-hmm, in yourself mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the goals are going to be different i think right. is what you yeah, right definitely yeah. unless you like go to there's people from my you know school that went to juilliard and like mm-hmm. that's how you continue to do that is if you go yeah, to this yeah. really rigorous or institution where you're gonna yeah. right and you want to be like fully in the jazz canon and like you know be seen as a full like jazz bebop artist and that kind of thing but i'm not really interested in that <laughs> very much anymore yeah. um but i think yeah. something too that I, I've thought about a lot, Joan, and I've never mentioned this mm-hmm. to you, but something that I really appreciate about being in your program is that I kind of realized um, after being in your jazz band that for so long I had kind of socialized myself within kind of the Seattle scene to look at, to look to male authority figures no. to like get permission to play. Mm-hmm. It was like those people told me that I could solo or showed me how to solo. Those people told me when I could solo. Oh, you get picked. Mm-hmm. You get picked to solo. And I remember in jazz band, you would just make me solo all the time. And like, you know what? I appreciate that. But also it's like, it's wild to think back and be like, I didn't step up because I am i wasn't socialized to, to step, step up. up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, I think too, like having a female like jazz band leader it was just so important for me to see that and to recognize like I have 
my own um, ability to step up and, and do that. Because I, I kind of already knew it, but I really needed that opportunity to truly learn it because from this other place, it was like, I play when I'm asked to and in the way that they want. And like, I just am appreciative now. Like, no, no, not anymore. <laughs> I'm going to say it. Fuck that. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, it's just interesting to hear you say that because my experience... Um, learning to be a musician is is not yours, right? You know, um, I, and I just feel like I've just sort of been a free ranger the whole yeah. time, and that that um, you know, uh, I, you know, I said I played a little piano. I got interested. I got serious about the guitar in high school, and I was a pretty good clarinet player in band and all that. And so in high school, I sang in the choir. I sang in the swing choir, which was really cool, actually. Uh, second alto parts are hard. Um, <laughs> And then um, I played for um, in the pit for the musicals. You know, I played guitar for a couple. I played clarinet for My Fair Lady, and then um, and uh, played in the band. And I didn't have time to play in the orchestra because I had at least to go to class sometimes. <laughs> and so when I and then in high school too. I mean, this, try not to make this an everlasting long story, but in high school, um, part of the thing I did was I was in a quintet, jazz quintet, just mm -hmm. from the people in the, our jazz band and, and um, the band and stuff like that. And luckily our high school had this really great alto player, mm. this guy named Pat Casey, and he was a Paul Desmond devotee. So it's like <laughs> he could play by ear, you know, Desmond solos, no for no, this isn't high school. Mm -hmm. You know, and he would do that in band, you go, oh my God, you know. And so I mean, my first gig my mom had to drive me to because I still didn't have my license, but you know, we played, you know, Take Five and we played Girl From Ipanema and we played Tangerine in five, you know, which I look back going, well, that's a pretty exotic first gig. But nobody was telling us how to play. Nobody mm -hmm. picked the repertoire. We picked it. We had ownership of that little band, and we played at bowling alleys and stuff. It was very exciting. So, <laughs> and then when I decided to go to college, uh, uh, I I just couldn't imagine uh, being a guitar player. What kind of career I could have in music? I just there was no vision of that because my only vision of being in music would be a band director, uh, and I didn't want to be a band director. I could tell by being in band, I did not want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I went away to college and studied classical guitar because I thought that was really interesting, but mm -hmm. I wasn't a music major until I was at least a junior. Mm -hmm. And I was an archeology, span I was in that, I was gonna be a history major, I thought, ah, and an English major, I had enough credits for 12 English majors. But I decided that and all said and done, I was standing at the bus stop one day, and it was like, you know, the best. I like best guitar. I like music the best. I just think I'll be a music major. Okay, fine. So, but you know, getting a classical guitar degree does not give. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, work at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And so, I decided at that point, well, I just get my theory degree, and and maybe I'll teach at a college. We'll see. That doesn't mm -hmm. seem terrible. And then, um, and then as I'm so I'm so in in the. In the college, I'm I'm doing mostly classical guitar. I didn't play jazz at all because I didn't want to be in a jazz band with a guy trombone player telling me what to do. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that. And then, and so I played in the early music ensemble. I played lute and recorder, and then, um, and then some friends of mine decided we should we should make a, a, a like a cover band, like a wedding mm -hmm. band, because that would be more fun than being waitresses. Mm -hmm. And it really was. So like for the next five, six, seven years, I played in a cover band in Kansas City and we played weddings. This is before DJs, so you know we would play 
but we played like six nights a week all the time, you know, and mostly disco at that point. You know, we had our outfits and we changed, you know, blah, blah, blah. But again, nobody was telling us what to play. We didn't have a leader. We were the leaders. And it was mostly all, all of my women friends. I mean, we'd have a couple, drummers were hard to find, so we had to have guys playing drums most <laughs> of the time. But it was just, and all that was, all that stuff we did by ear. I mean, somebody, we just somebody bring the record to rehearsal and you put on Earth, Wind, and Fire and say, we got to learn that one. And, you know, and so we'd listen to it a couple times and everybody go to their instruments and play their part. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, well, that's, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Contrast to you, it's like hardly anybody had ever told me how to play. Yeah. Almost, I mean, I had the worst teacher in the world in college. <laughs> he was just like, you don't even know what you're talking about and I know nothing. Um, so I've been, like I said, I've been kind of a free ranger and mm -hmm. so I just invent things, you know, and if people ask me to do stuff, uh, for some reason I just go say, okay, how hard can that be? Well, sometimes, and most of the time that's worked out. <laughs> also, when I was still in Kansas City, um, uh, this woman named Carol Comer and a friend of hers, Diane Gregg, uh, went to a jazz festival in Topeka, Kansas, mm -hmm. and Carol's a great uh, singer, uh, piano player, played a lot of gigs in Kansas City. She still is kind of a Kansas City icon mm -hmm. and she and her friend Diane went to this jazz festival and realized there were no women at the festival maybe one singer mm -hmm. and on their way home driving they went you know what's the deal with that this is well let me tell you this is 1979 okay so um, I'm just saying mm -hmm. all right. <laughs> and uh, and so they said well you know I think we should maybe do you think we could start our own jazz festival and they did and it ran for like 10 years Wow. And it was called the Women's Jazz Festival of Kansas City, and they had everybody, except for Ella, I think everybody came, Carmen McRae, Toshiko Akiyoshi, you name them, they were all there, and I got to meet them all and play with some of them. And, but Carol, in, in the process, decided she needed all women's jazz combo mm -hmm. to like do jam sessions. And so she just called me out of the blue, because she had seen our band someplace playing Earth, Wind & Fire for Pete's sake, and um, asked ask, uh, any of us if we wanted to play in her band. and. Um, a couple of us said yes, but mostly I said yes, and I ended up playing with her as much as I could for like the next 10 years, mm -hmm. where she, you know, she would play gigs. And, and I still have the letter she sent me, just talking about women, you know. She sent the letter she sent me, says, it, it had a list of about 25 standards on it, mm -hmm. you know, and she says, but next time you come and play with me, you gotta know these. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, Stella. I'll look that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, I kind of find myself in the in the presence of really, you know, um, you know, strong women, and you got ownership. She would say, "Well, just play that. That's fine. Do what you're gonna do." And I, so that got me back into jazz. I hadn't been really playing jazz, and I certainly hadn't been playing. I didn't pick up the bass until I was way out of college. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that that your experience, where you know, you get in a situation where you're telling, you're being told how to play. You internalize this. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. Yeah, right. and that's what you have to get rid of. Absolutely, you have to, you have to think it's your way to do things. And yeah. maybe there's you can research it and say, well, I like that or not like this or I certainly like that. And uh, you know, but it becomes your um, artistic decisions too. You know, mm -hmm. and um, just like you decide what you want to eat at a restaurant, nobody has to mm -hmm. tell you you want a hamburger. Right, you know, that's, right. Those days are done. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, so I was just completely lucky, but it was, like I said, I was just kind of 
because I played bass and guitar, there wasn't a necessarily place I would fit into a bigger ensemble mm -hmm. necessarily. So you kind of have to invent how you're going to fit in. And for the most part, especially since I moved to Twin Cities about 30 years ago, I, most of the bands when I moved here, um, I was almost always the only girl mm -hmm. in the band. Mm -hmm. And that's a different energy too. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really great guys, but there's a lot of guys too that kind of decide that you probably have to be on probation for at least the first 12 sets before mm -hmm. they talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, and they ask you, do you own your own base? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. A couple. How many you want? Right. So it's, you know, you guys, it's, a, it's still a struggle, as you well know. I mean, mm -hmm. and the Twin Cities has a jazz festival every year, and um, it's still very underrepresented for women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. things yeah. and I'm kind of like it, it I what I said kind of about McAllister that I loved was like you know I I really had the space to just figure out what my voice was and right. to just take what I wanted from that past and leave it behind and that's very much how I feel now it's just kind of like I I feel more like an artist at this point because I've yeah. taken the time to think about what feels right to me and kind of throw in the rest yeah. my feeling about jazz is that um, well, any music really. Jazz is just another pop music, and that that the it, the only reason that we will continue on with the music is that people will make new music and, mm -hmm. and it, with their own set of interests and mm -hmm. influences and stuff. That's mm -hmm. why I like you guys to write your own arrangements because mm -hmm. you know that's well, that's what it is. But we have to another. I think it'd be great if we have a ton more women musicians. That'd be swell. But we really need our women critics. Mm. You know, because if you think about who's telling you in your mind, who's telling you how to play, mm. who's telling yeah. you that? Jazz didn't used to be this way, but ever since it got to be into college with jazz and in junior highs and ed jazz education, mm -hmm. it becomes like classical music, yeah. where you know, where you, it's like that's how Mozart did this, so yeah. that's how we have to do it, right. or that's how Ellington did it. Now we have to yes. do it that way, yes. and I don't think Duke Ellington would appreciate that. I mean, no. he'd like it that we're playing his stuff, but I think he he would be much more interested in seeing what we would do to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And how right. we, I think he'd like a hip-hop version, mm -hmm. you know, of any of his tunes, you know. I do despair sometimes when I see, you know, some of the jazz education textbooks where, you know, like you learn to play a certain lick over a 2-5-1, and then you play it in all keys, and then you play it on a gig. It's like, mm -hmm. whose music are you playing? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, something that the other guys think is hip. I don't know why, because you know? right. then you sound like all the rest of the guys. Yeah. What's your song? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get almost like kind of mad if when I play, people are like, "You have some good licks," because I don't. I have never had the interest of playing licks. I have never had the interest of learning like formulaic way. Like I think vocabulary is important. Like yes. learn, you know, I think transcription is like yeah. so much better than like mm -hmm. just learning some dry like, licks without context sure. or yeah. th that kind of thing. But I think it's so much more fun to just 
figure it out on the fly and just do something that that yeah. feels right to you and not have to think about mm-hmm. something that like someone told you to do you know yeah. yeah has that been like a process like for you learning to come from this really strict mm-hmm. background where maybe in high school and jazz band like were you taught to kind of play things based on the oh, the licks yeah. and the canon? Like what was that process like for you mm-hmm. of breaking out of that and then figuring out your own voice and doing what you want to do? You know, I think for me I was kind of pigeonholed where like for an Ellington competition, mm-hmm. I was pigeonholed kind of to be the very like expressive and kind of um, Johnny Hodges. Johnny Hodges, mm-hmm. exactly, kind of player. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the the guys were kind of like pigeonholed to then be the Coltrane's and to be mm-hmm. the really kind of um, evocative yeah. kind of players, right? Um, but in, like, the angular way, right? Um, so I think, honestly, even though I wasn't necessarily playing, like, angular all the time publicly, I think I really benefited from kind of learning that transcription is important, that, you know, there's these different ways of playing other than what I was doing for this competition. Like, I kind of had that awareness but then going into to school, like McAllister, I had the the opportunity to just kind of do what I wanted to. And my four years at McAllister, I feel like I very rarely was going by court sheets. I like very rarely. I was pretty much just wanting to go by my ear. Mm-hmm. And I think that honestly has been such an important part of my artistry at this point is you know, figuring out how to listen truly and how to, you know, respond to things. Mm-hmm. Like, I just remember from a camp I went to a long time ago, there was a saxophonist that said, um, one way that you can play solos is every note is available to you is about how you react. And so I feel like my four years at McAllister, I was trying to build that up. Mm-hmm. I was trying to build up my responses and build up the way I listen to things and how I listen. Like, I can listen to the bass, I can listen to the guitarist, like something to, to riff off of. been a really important way for me to kind of like if I had formulas in me which I think I definitely had more than I do now I ripped that out by just being like I kind of just want to like play around literally and that's what I love I love when you know I'm soloing and I don't know where it's going that's so much more fun for me than playing a lick it's just Mm -hmm. being like I don't even know but we're gonna go there we're gonna you know be there in the moment and I think that's what music should be is is I mean, once you get to a certain level of improvisation, it's like, it really should be just kind of like figuring it out in the moment and being able to build something that you can just figure out. Yeah, connected to the song that's coming to you. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Exactly. As a teacher, that's a really tricky one. How do you work on people so they they can, they actually have a, a, like a, musical imagination, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like writing a short story. I mean, it's, you know, in, in, I think it's so interesting in music education that, that say you're, take, you're in fourth grade, okay. So by the time you're in fourth grade, you're already writing your own essays and your own mm-hmm. little stories and what is, you know, that kind of thing. And you use language 
as a way to express your imagination mm-hmm. and your thoughts. But you don't get that training in music. You yeah. just go into your lesson mm-hmm. and you play what's on the page mm-hmm. and nobody says, um, play me the song that's in your head right now. Mm-hmm. You know? And so by We're the time it. you get to be in <laughs> yeah. high school, I mean, it's like that, that little language thing has shut off a little bit mm-hmm. in your music mm-hmm. imagination right. and how to, how to bump that up and give yourself permission to just do that. Yeah. And, there, and for jazz, you know, there's a lot, if you're going to play standards or something, there's a lot of, of language you have to learn. You have to mm-hmm. learn the right notes and the chords and how they go together and how to listen to the progression and improvise on the melody, you know. Mm-hmm. But when does that all come together to as, as an imagination? Yeah, Colleen, I would love to hear about how you started to improvise because I think what I really love about your playing is how you bring such a, like you were saying, a blues vocabulary but you, you make it transcend different genres and you make it work for a lot of different settings in a way that I think is so beautiful and I really appreciate and I love that's playing with you so I could gab on, but anyway. But that's because um, she's a guitar you know, player. But but right. as, as guitar players, we're yeah. allowed to go wild sooner. Yeah, Because there's yeah. nobody telling us what to do. Right. And, and so, yeah, well, you mm-hmm. can answer that question yeah. too, but if you have to take lessons and play scales like we don't, yeah. then, you know, our imaginations are left yeah unfettered right yeah for sure i feel like even though like my kind of musical education up until college was i started taking guitar lessons Mm -hmm. when i got my first guitar in like fourth or fifth grade Mm -hmm. and i took private lessons all through elementary and high school um but it was just like me playing guitar in my lessons in my bedroom like i wanted to play with other people but my school didn't have a jazz band i didn't know that many people who wanted to play Mm -hmm. except for a couple like middle school boys in my class who liked jethro toll and stuff (laughs) and i was like i don't want to do that so (laughs) i feel like my like Uh, accurate (laughs) (laughs) oh it's a terrible image (laughs) so my kind of like journey into music was really like solitary um Mm-hmm. But my way of learning was like transcribing solos mm-hmm. by the classic rock greats. And I, you know, kind of got really into that canon. I was obsessed with Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton and all those like great players, which, you know, again, going back to like, why do we think that they're great? Because the people who are, you know, telling Critics, us to listen yeah. to them. Yeah. It's the same kind of like white dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is what, you know, I was like, this is the best rock music. This is what I'm going to study. And so what a lot of my music education was, was like listening to this music, transcribing these solos, playing them note for note. And so even though it's like a very different experience, like mm-hmm. I feel like that relates to your experience of having those like formulas yeah. um, or those expectations of like, okay, I'm playing this 12 bar blues, so these are the notes I need to pick from, or mm-hmm. I'm playing this like rock solo, so I'm gonna sound like Jimmy Page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really have a sense of like my own voice because um, mm-hmm. I didn't think I had that, I didn't give that permission to myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, these are the great players they're these rock dudes, I'm going to sound like a rock dude, so therefore I'm going to be a good <laughs> yeah. guitarist. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought that path was. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like it took playing jazz and playing other styles to realize, like, this isn't the only good music. Like, I don't know, that's yeah. what I built up in my head was, like, this is how you be a good guitarist, is you sound like Jimmy Page or you mm-hmm. sound like, you know, whoever. And then I realized, like, oh, that's not true. You can sound, yeah. I can sound like me. Right. Um, ah. So, 
That was, and that was a master stroke, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that was tough because I had to like untangle, you know, all of this, like, like I still pull on that and I try to pull on that like blues and rock vocabulary, but now do it in a way where I have control over it rather than just letting those notes guide my fingers. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm playing and whatever. I'm not, you know, excited about it, but this is what sounds good. Now I try to use that and like use it as a tool to, you know, create whatever I'm hearing in my head. Yeah. Yeah, I, now that you say that, that really resonates with me because in high school, I had this really great teacher, Mark Taylor, shout out to him. Um, He um, pretty much taught any saxophonist that was in our high school. Like he was like the guy to kind of go to. I remember um, like a teacher going up to my parents uh, my freshman year of high school and being like, she needs to start taking lessons with him if she like wants to be like a soloist and you know all this stuff and like a hand potential but um so mark taylor is a really wonderful saxophonist and he pulls from kenny garrett i think as like a a Mm -hmm. major influence uh, amongst other people Mm -hmm. and i think there was a certain point where like a bunch of us kind of sounded like kenny garrett because we were all learning from this person Mm -hmm. and like um, or even not even Kenny we all sounded kind of like Mark Taylor we all were kind of like because he's had such a cool sound he he taught us like bebop tonguing so mm-hmm. like the way to be able to do eighth notes in a way that's mm-hmm. you know palatable and like the right way and kind of jazz like bebop music and um, you know I think it was such a great like place to start from but then there's a point where you just realize, like, I don't want to be a clone. Like, I just, that's not what interests me. And so I think, honestly, one of the things that really helped me, even in high school, to kind of develop my own voice, I remember um, I started learning ballads on my own, mm-hmm. like, without really listening. Like, I would listen to some of the other players, but also, like, I wanted to kind of figure out how I would play um, these songs and ballads are some of my favorites always. I don't really like the really fast bebop tunes anyway. Like it's fine to play, but I I don't know, with a ballad I just I think figuring out your expressive voice is so much easier. Um and figuring out the way that you stylistically want to present yourself. So I think um doing that I, I think I did that like my sophomore year of high school. I just had this phase where I was going through a bunch of ballads and I think that, that really helped me to figure out how I was different and like even in high school it was like I don't want to sound like this person so I'm going to do work to kind of be my own you know so well it takes us it's interesting because it takes a certain actually takes a tremendous amount of bravery Mm -hmm. to say I'm going to sound like myself Mm -hmm. I mean tremendous Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. for a girl yeah Mm -hmm. in high school right you know you you know or a girl anytime really you know just and that's you know and that's kind of a different thing to think about but but as soon as you play outside of you know whatever who's saying the norm is mm-hmm. you know then you have to be brave enough to do that mm-hmm. and have whatever they got to say just you know, fine you play it your way but mm-hmm. that's a hard thing to learn on your own you know mm-hmm. you have to you know yeah that's a really it's difficult. I think it's difficult for guys too. I, I think it's actually sort of harder in some ways because the guy culture is so, you know, mm. you're going to sound like this bebop guy and that'll be hip. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's harder for a guy. I think you know, for example, like to, to be into ballads. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's right. all this judgment. You know, and of of all things, but you know, if you can be brave enough to just 
be your own judge mm-hmm. in your right. life. Yeah. That's that whether it's music or anything else, but but that's a hard that's a hard step too. Mm-hmm. You, know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think for me it's really taken like this past year has been a really big learning experience and like first not just having the structure of school of like you're gonna mm-hmm. take lessons every semester yeah. and you're gonna be a jazz band. Yeah, yeah. That has been a huge shift in me needing to take initiative and mm-hmm. force myself mm-hmm. to play and play with other people. But yeah, I think it's really taken like being in this band, like being in Rebecca, like to take ownership and like mm-hmm. be okay with taking risks, mm-hmm. like playing with people, like especially you who I know and I trust and like and just, like having this friendship to just like yeah. build each other up has been like the best learning experience mm-hmm. because I feel like that is like the biggest thing that holds me back is just mm-hmm. feeling like I don't give myself permission to like take 100%. risks or play me how too. I want to play because I'm like no this isn't what you're supposed to do this isn't yep. what you're supposed to sound yeah. like this yep. You know, if I'm yep. just playing some random chromatic notes, it's not real jazz because I'm not thinking about it through a theoretical lens. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm a fake. But no, no, one, right, no right. one else would say that. I'm just putting that all on I myself. Know. So, like, being in this environment is, like, the best because then I can yeah. just let myself do what I want to do. I 100% agree. And I think, too, like, I'm sure you've noticed, like, in rehearsals, I think I have kind of used my instrument as a crutch to like hide myself sometimes of like saxophone is loud Mm -hmm. saxophone can be abrasive like you don't want to play all the time because you don't want people to get annoyed with your sound all the time and I feel like I most of the time just get over it and just like play and and do my thing but there's other moments where like I'll have other people that were at a performance and be like yeah you kind of held back there like I noticed that you kind of held back and I think it's hard for me to kind of ride the line of like like trying to figure out where I want to play and everything and making sure that that's not me finding excuses to take a seat, you know, like, Uh like making sure that it's like me actually making a stylistic choice versus like an anxiety choice or, you know, something like that where like you're letting your mind get to you and, and not let yourself play more, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good to be, you're being so thoughtful about Mm -hmm. that Mm because it's easy to take, take the lower road. Yeah. You know, sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, sometimes even in our rehearsals for our group, like, I'll just find that I'm being apologetic, and I'm like, mm-hmm. why? Why am I doing that? That makes no sense. Like, mm-hmm. I'm playing well, I'm doing yeah. it. Like, I don't know. It's just funny how that works sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's a reflex. There's a certain point, I think, especially with music, where, like, I don't know, Joan, at the beginning, you said something beautiful where you were saying, I take every opportunity for playing as, you know, something that I can enjoy and benefit from, mm-hmm. and... I think, you know, sometimes we can go into it being like, I need to play a certain way, I need to show up in a certain way, where what if you just show up and exist in that moment, in that presence, and I think what's great about our band is most of the time it feels like that's what's happening, is we're just kind of jamming, we're kind of just meeting each other where we're at, and um, I think it's just important to, to have spaces like that where you're not getting too self-critical and thinking about all the theory and, and all that, but making it about the enjoyment of the music, right? It's just an interesting thing. I played this gig with, there's, there's this woman in town called the Patty Peterson All-Star, Jazz Women All-Stars. Yeah! And it's a pretty cool group. Um, uh, but anyway, the the saxophone player, we played at Crooners a couple of weeks ago, and it was, like I said, it was a pretty good gig, and um, the saxophone player, uh, um, Turned every turned everybody and said, you know, this is just the greatest 
you know, the, the greatest thing. And she says, and, it, and we play, you know, I think it was, I can't remember if she said it was Ornette Coleman, but Ornette mm. Coleman said, apparently, uh, or somebody, I think it was Ornette Coleman, <laughs> said mm. that, you know, um, you know, jazz puts you in a position where other, when you're in a band, it's like everybody says to each other, I dare you. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, I thought about that, and I thought at first, you know, I don't think that's right. I think mm. that that often it is that, but then it becomes like a cutting session. Yeah. You know, I, I dare you. To me, a band is I give you permission. Yeah. You go. I'll go. I like. You know that. what I mean? I, yes. I, I will. I'll go where you want to go. I give you permission to try things. Yeah. With me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I love that. I know. <laughs> I, but I, it took me a couple of days to figure out why I was kind of bummed by that remark. But mm. um, it's not that it's a bad thing. But I don't. I don't really ever. Th- I, I try not to think ever about m- m- playing music as a competition, mm-hmm. as more of a cooperation. It's a different, different, you know, um, vibration when people have permission as opposed to mm-hmm. being judged. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. that Joan mentioned at the end of our conversation. It was Wayne Shorter who said, to me, the word jazz means I dare you. But to Joan, jazz means saying, I give you permission. Both Joan and Anna have given me permission to break out of the molds I grew up with and to learn to play like myself. I usually close my podcast episodes by asking my guests to give a shout out to someone. But today I'm taking over the shout out to give some love to Joan and Anna. Thank you for inspiring me to be more confident in music and beyond. You can hear Anna and I play together in the band Rebecca, spelled R-A-B-E-C-A. Our debut album Potluck is out now on Spotify and Bandcamp, and it includes the song you're listening to now, Detective Sprout. Joan Griffith has a solo album out called Samba Nova, and you can also hear her talk with Minnesota's jazz musicians every Saturday at 9 p.m. on Jazz 88 FM. The Pass the Mic podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. You can keep up with everything Pass the Mic at pass-the-mic.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.